Good morning, church. I am excited to be here this morning and to bring uh, this portion of God's Word before you. Uh, I have to confess, I'm also a little nervous. Um, So, uh, I mean, I'm always nervous for myself, but I'm a little nervous for you, for you this morning. So, um, let's open in prayer. Lord, have mercy on this congregation. We uh, live the majority, the vast majority of our lives in a world of uh, snippets and sound bites, uh, uh, important things that attempt to be communicated in 280 characters or in a short story. Um, We have been trained by this world to bail on a thought as soon as it doesn't entertain us, or as soon as we encounter any kind of resistance or challenge. And then we come here Sunday morning, and uh, we read the word of a God who does not speak in 280 characters. And so I pray for mercy that we can <clears throat> that we can follow these thoughts, that we can dwell on your word and let it shape us and change us as it is meant to do. So I, I thank you and bless the preaching of your word. So for those of us who are uh, those of you, I'm not new here, but for those of you that are new here or haven't been coming that long, we are in the, we're on the back end of a series uh, of a few months long going through um, uh, Galatians, and, and now we're in James, and that's part of a, a whole series, and the, the banner over that series has been, you are saved by faith alone, and that's kind of Galatians. But a saving faith is never alone, and that's kind of the emphasis of James. Uh, Our text this morning, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, is, I believe, central to um, not just the book of James, but central to this series as well, because he is touching on the very nerve of what what that banner is saying. Uh, If we are saved by faith alone, and yet a true saving faith is never alone, what does that look like? And here James gets right to the point of what that is. Uh, The the, the reason for my concern and the prayer this morning is that uh, many of the errors that come out of this text is from taking a snippet of this portion of text and pitting it against Paul. And, and, and we have critics and even uh, professing Christians who say that James is teaching or preaching another gospel, a different gospel, and that these two were in conflict with each other, that, they're, that their theologies are in contradiction to each other. Well, uh, we, we, we know better than, than that. We know that God has spoken in his word and that uh, the God that we serve, the God that speaks, also does not lie. He cannot lie. 
And so if we would but dwell on this a little, and if we would follow the train of thought that James is going through, we'll see not only is there no contradiction on the surface, but there is a, a, a deeper and more beautiful and more glorious expression of what true faith is. So that's my goal this morning. So uh, the, the only other, uh, I'm sorry, this is our, this is our introduction. I'm sorry, uh, Gwen. Uh, Context. The idea is context in the introduction. Keep your context. Um, so we also need to keep the context of the letter of James in mind as well. So the other thing about the letter of James is that it's often seen as a, a like an ambling. Uh, James is jumping from this thought to that thought without much thought of, of continuity or consistency because he does touch on a bunch of different things. And so uh, many people are just kind of uh, okay to, to leave it up to, uh, almost like it's just a set of proverbs that you can just take or leave or, or take a bit here and a bit there. And um, I, want to, I want to fight against that a little bit and say that there is a very uh, solid structure and flow to this letter, and I just want to take a second to, to let you in on what I'm thinking about it. Uh, James's whole purpose in writing this letter, it, the first thing that he says to the Diaspora, the, the persecuted Jews, uh, Christian, Jewish Christians, it, the whole purpose of this letter is to encourage the persecuted Jewish Christians to remain steadfast in their faith. The first thing he says to them in verse 2, if you want to just flip a page over to chapter 1, verse 2, after he greets them, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that's the overall, that's what I'm saying the overall purpose of this letter is. And everything else that James writes about is meant to flesh that out, to unpack that. So in, in, in chapter 1, verse 2, James uses this phrase, trials of various kinds. Uh, and this is what I want to focus on to help our, to help our context. Uh, yes, James can seem a little scattered at times, jumping from thing to thing. Uh, but he is telling them, he tells them at the beginning, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Many different kinds of trials. Many different kinds of encounters or situations that you will have as a Christian in your day-to-day -day life. Uh, count it all joy when you run into these. And so if this is, if this is James's intention, if this is the purpose of writing his letter, what would we expect for a uh, uh, a leader saying, count it all joy when you encounter trials of every kind, what would you expect him to start writing about? Probably various trials of every, of every different kind. Uh, that would be one of the things that you would expect to see. And that's exactly what we find. James talks about having wisdom, how to be stable in this world that is always shifting and always moving about. Uh, James talks about the poor and the rich and how we believers should interact with them. James talks about how we should understand our temptations and our sins. He talks about how we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, uh, bridling our tongue. He talks about showing partiality. How we view our future. Is it, in, is it for us to determine or is it as the Lord wills? Uh, pride, humility, and much more, much more. And so all these things on the surface can seem random. That's what I'm getting at. But in reality... Uh, James circles around on each of these things. He talks about wisdom a couple different times throughout the letter. He talks about taming your tongue a couple different times throughout the letter. Uh, the rich and the poor. All these 
main topics, he, he circles around them and touches on them a few different times. And uh, what I want to say is that that's not random. James is not being sporadic. He is relating the full spectrum of the various kinds of trials that we as Christians will encounter in our day-to-day lives. Does that make sense to you? Okay. It made sense to me, and I, didn't, I just want to just run that by you guys and see what you thought. So, so James says, count it all joy when you run into these various trials. Why? Because all of these various trials, whatever one you want to pick out of, out of James's list or out of our list, they will all do the same thing. The one thing. They will all do one thing. They will, James is saying, they'll show me what you've got. They will reveal the quality of your faith. They will reveal the the truth or falsehood of your faith. And that can be scary. Uh, It should be scary, actually. It should be a little scary. It should make you a little nervous to know that your faith um, has to go beyond what you say, and it's going to be tried in real life, and you're going to be exposed one way or another. Um, So I just want to, uh, believe it or not, this is encouragement. I want to encourage you, Trinity, that the trials you are going through now will expose the quality of your faith. And my hope and prayer is that we will thank God for that at at the end of this message, even if we are shown to be a little, uh, come up a little short. So, So to our text, you thought I was going to preach on James 1, verse 2. I'm not preaching on James 1, verse 2. To our text this morning, James chapter 2, verses 14 and 26, or 14 through 26. What I want to do is set this up. Uh, we're going to step through each verse, but what I want to do is just give you the big picture. I'm going to read verse 14, and I'm going to read verse 26, and you'll see that that's a continuous thought. And what I want to show you is just that everything between that is James fleshing this out, okay? So, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James has given us the the ultimate either-or of what faith is. Uh, There's either this true faith or that false faith. There's either this living faith or there's that deceiving faith. There's either this fruit-producing faith, the good works, the faith that produces good works, or there's a a word-only producing faith, a faith that can only say what it believes but does not do. Either this living faith or that dead faith. So here's the big idea. Here's the the, the prop of 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 the message. Since profession of faith does not equal true faith, let us rejoice in our various trials, knowing that they will drive us to good works, thus proving and strengthening our true faith. So these these points are steps that we're going to progress through James's argument, through, through what he's defending and stating. So let's start at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So step one, that faith. James is talking about a certain kind of faith. So James is right away, he's saying, you can, you can say all the right things that you want to say. Uh, does it do 
any good if that's where it stops. That's what he's asking. He's saying, no, that kind of faith, that faith that is in word only, uh, that faith cannot save anyone. Profession of faith does not equal true faith. It's pretty easy. Step two, look at us flying right through this. We're going on to um, uh, verses 15 through 17. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And James is just unpacking by illustration what he just said in verse 14. And he gives us a practical example of what that kind of faith is good for. And it's good for nothing. Again, what value is there to your faith if you can only say the right thing? Are you getting the point of what James is getting at? If your faith does not have works, it is a dead faith. Step three. Verses 18 through 19. 18 and 19. But someone will say, uh, you have faith and I have works. That's what James is introducing this, this imaginary opponent, or maybe a real opponent that he's encountered. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Uh, these verses do seem a little awkward at first, the way that James is saying some things, but uh, if, we, if we keep in mind what he said so far, it makes it a little easier to understand. He's saying, if your faith is only something that you can talk about, uh, but it does nothing, then it's worthless. It's dead. It cannot save. And so he, he, raised, he raises this objection. Uh, someone who thinks that... Uh, that, that Yes, saying it is enough. If I confess it with my mouth, then I have true faith. Uh, James responds and reveals the self-contradiction that they're, in, that they're stuck in. He's saying, fine, if you think that just claiming it is enough, if you think that just saying it is enough, then go ahead and show me. Show me what you say is true. Show me the truth of what you're saying. Show me the power of your faith that you can only talk about. Show me what good your word-only faith is. What does it do for the widow when you just say, be clothed and be warm and be filled? What, what good does it do for the orphan when you can just say, God, have pity on that poor orphan? So James is challenging them and he's exposing the, the, the word only faith as incapable of being able to express itself. He's saying, show me, knowing that they can't show you, they can only say. And then he, he responds by saying, if, if you can show me uh, your faith apart from your works, then I'll show you my faith by my works. And uh, James is, obviously he's just showing that his faith that does produce works is, is something that can be shown, whereas the word-only faith cannot be shown. And then we have this uh, verse 19 that also seems to come out of left field. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Uh, if we re- 
if we remember um, who James is writing to, this might sound a little weird to our ears that James just drops this in there, but he's writing to the Jewish Christians, right? Um, does anybody in here re remember what the Shema is? I know there's classical conversations, kids in here that know what the Shema is, but yeah, yeah, Deuteronomy 6, 4, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. That classic, classic scripture. Uh, this is a prayer that every Jew would pray every day, it, and it is the foundational truth of what made Israel stand out from the rest of the world and also what makes Christianity stand out from the rest of the world, and that is monotheism, that God is one. So why does James bring this in here at this point? He, he's saying not only, he's saying not only uh, is your faith dead if you... Um, say you have faith but you don't show works. He's also saying your faith is dead if you just confess the most fundamental, basic theological beliefs that we live by, the, the very foundations that you stand on. If you confess those, um, that doesn't do it. In other words, if you're orthodox, if you're not a heretic, which I would not call any of you in here a heretic, I think we're all orthodox, probably, maybe. All right, maybe there's a few odd question, but, but in general, we're all probably pretty orthodox. And James is saying, big deal. The, the demons believe the same thing you say you believe, and at least they have the sense to shudder. So, through, through these, these scriptures so far, James is saying again and again, you can say it all you want. If it does not express itself in works, it's dead and it's worthless. He's challenging them to show me. Show me your faith that has words only and no works. And so to our next step, he says, fine, if you can't show me, then I'll, I'll show you. Verses 20 through 25, do you want to be shown, O foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Did you all hear that? You're not justified by, you're, you're justified by works, not by faith alone? Did I say, when I quoted our banner, did I say that wrong? That we were justified by, I, thought, I said we were saved by faith alone. And, and here James is saying, we're, we're saved and justified not by faith alone. I hope that bothers you. Uh, there's something else that should bother you. And uh, did anyone catch a thing that James did with Abraham? 
Was not Abraham our father justified when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, and Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Um, when did, does anyone know when, where in Genesis, basically, that Abraham offered up Isaac on the altar? Oh, almost. Oh, almost. 22, yes. You guys are, you guys are quick. We're, we were bound to get there, the way things were going. Yeah, Genesis 22. Uh, Cherie, does anyone know where Scripture says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness? <laughs> Genesis 15. Six, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Genesis 15, 6. So, so James... Uh, James pulls this little switcheroo, and um, he, he's saying, was not Abraham justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Genesis 22 does not say that. Genesis 22 doesn't say, and he was justified by offering Isaac on, his, on, on the altar. Um, so there's two options with this, okay? One option is that uh, whatever scripture happens to say before Genesis 22, um, maybe Abraham just had a dead faith from Genesis 15. And it was a dead faith until he actually went through the act of, of uh, sacrificing his son on the altar to, to, to God. And then it was a real living faith. That's one option. Um, the other option is to, again, keep in mind the flow of James's thought and argument and see the point that James is making here. Uh, and, and to do that, I, wanna, I want to uh, read verse 22, which is in between our two uh, switcheroo verses here. James says, You see that faith was active along with his works, and Abraham's faith was completed by his works. So most of us know the story of Abraham, basically. He was, he was a, 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 an idol-worshiping Gentile, and God comes to him in, in Genesis 12 and says, Abram, Abraham, come out of the land of Ur, leave your father and your kindred, and come to a land that I'll show you. What did Abraham do? He left. Did he leave his father and his kindred? Lot. No, he didn't leave his father. He brought some father. He brought a father and some kindred along with him. Did he go right to the land that God showed him? No. Okay. So he kind of he 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 listened to God, but he didn't listen to God, right? So he acted in faith, but it wasn't a a full obedience. It, it, it was a success and a failure. Okay. Well. Uh, when Abraham was on his journey, eventually, I guess, going to go to the place where God showed him, he, he goes into Egypt. Does anyone remember what he did concerning his wife when he went into Egypt? He lied. Why did he lie? Yeah, he was scared to save his skin. Now, so God promised Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You're going to have children as the sand of the sea and stars of the sky, and Abraham 
feared the king of, or the, the ruler of Egypt more than he believed that God would uh, be able to keep his promise. Another, um, another failure, another partial failure, maybe partial success. Then God comes to Abraham and says, no, Abraham, your heir, the, the child of promise, will come from your own body. And Abraham believes. He believes. But what does he do? Well, I wasn't going to say that. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, he listened to someone else. And, and he tries to make it happen on his own. Another partial failure, partial, like he, he believes, but he fails. So for decades, between Genesis 15, or even Genesis 12, and, and up to Genesis 22, we have this man who is a, a, a picture of contradiction, of believing God, of saying, I believe what you said, God. I believe what you promised. And, and, and failing, trying to move forward, but failing. Trying to do it, but not quite doing it all the time. There's your, your father of the faith. Well, finally, we get to Genesis 22. And I, I have to just take a minute to, to walk through this because uh, Abraham has the, the son of promise. And God comes to him and says, uh, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, uh, and, and offer him on, a, on, a, on the mountain that I'll show you. Offer him as a sacrifice to me. I, I can imagine, I've tried to imagine the, the, the various trials that Abraham must have been going through as he said, Isaac, we're going to go worship the Lord on a mountain. Give your mom a hug and, and make it a good one. And uh, I'm going to get my crew, and, and we're going to start traveling. And I, I imagine that Abraham rarely lifted his eyes off the ground on that journey. I imagine that Abraham rarely had clear vision uh, when thinking about what, what the son of promise, this is the one God promised me that the whole world would be blessed through. And he's telling me to go kill. He's telling me to go kill my that son of promise. And so they're trudging. They get to the bottom of the mountain, and Abraham says to the crew, "You guys stay here. Me and the boy are going to go up and worship the Lord." And and he puts the wood on Isaac's back, and they start to climb up the mountain. And it's just the two of them. And just now, I'm sure Abraham had more failures and struggles than are recorded in scripture, but I just cannot, I know how I am in the moment of trying to act in faith, and the thing that comes up to my mind the quickest is my failures, my past failures, and the, the shame of that, and the, the struggle of that, and why should now be any different. So we, 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 know, we know the rest of the story, right? Isaac says, hey dad, uh, we're at the wood, we're at the place for the thing, and uh, how does this work again? You know, and Abraham says, God will provide. 
a sacrifice. And so he goes through with it. Abraham goes to the point of no return, basically, before an angel of the Lord says, stop. Don't you think about hurting that boy. Now I know that you fear God and that you, obey, you will obey me in all things. Did God not know that up until that point? Did God really learn what Abraham was made of? Or do you think that that whole thing was more for Abraham, the failing father of the faith? And, and Isaac, years later, as he learned about what happened, and maybe even the, the nations that are being blessed by him even today, the church and the world, uh, that story. I mean, Abraham and Isaac were the only ones there when it happened. Um, so obviously, God had bigger plans for this, that, that it would be recorded and that it would be a continual testimony to the faithfulness of God. But also, the, the um, I, I want to refer back to verse 22, faith, be, true faith being active along with works and faith being completed by works. And so here we have a beautiful example in Genesis 22 of Abraham doing it right for once, you know, completing the act in true faith and complete faith. And that's what James is getting at here. So, yes, in Genesis 15, Abraham believed God. He, he professed belief that he, he believed what God said. And um, Moses kind of gives us a spoiler alert with Genesis 15:6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And we see throughout Abraham's life up to Genesis 22 and beyond this progressive growing and strengthening of his true faith. So that's why James writes it like this. He, he, he switches it around so that we're forced to say, wait a minute. He, he was justified before he ever did a work. But James is saying that that work. Why? Why did that work justify Abraham? Because it was a work born out of true faith. And that's the whole point he's getting at in the rest of the context. So, so was Abraham justified by his works, as James says? Yeah, but not by works alone. It's a, a work that is the natural outgrowth of a true faith. And uh, in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Here, James is referring to that, that lonely faith, that faith that is in word only. Just saying it will not do it. So there's Abraham. And, and then uh, it's almost kind of a letdown that verse 25 is in there. I don't want to say a letdown, but it's like you talk about Abraham, the father of the faith, this great man that everybody knows. He was called the friend of God. He's the champion of our faith. And then, uh, and in the same way, was not, in, in verse 25, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So Abraham, the father of the faith, the friend of God, and, and Rahab the prostitute. Abraham heard the very voice of God several times, whether it came from the clouds like, like, like Monty Python shows it, or whether it, however it happened, God spoke to Abraham, and he heard him, and that was his life, the father of the faith. And then you have Rahab, uh, another 
idol-worshiping Gentile in a city about to be conquered by the armies of God, and she hears. Remember the story of her? I've heard from other people talking, from the dead bodies strewn through the, the war path that you guys are on. I've heard that Yahweh is the true God, and he's coming to judge this place. That's all she had. And that little, tiny, insignificant woman with that little, tiny, insignificant seed of faith uh, uh, showed the, tr- the, the, the truth of her faith by what she did in protecting the spies. And anybody that knows anything about the lineage, the descendants of Rahab, will bless God just as much for her, Rahab the prostitute, as they do for Abraham, the friend of God. Uh, It is from her lineage that the great King David comes, and Solomon, and, and obviously Christ the Messiah. So I'm glad that that little verse is in there. So I'm, I'm going to close my, my part here by just uh, step five to reemphasize that the gospel that James preaches is the gospel. The gospel that James preaches is the gospel. Um, and just to close the scripture here, for as the, in verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I'm going to just pull up a few scriptures from the rest of the New Testament from different writers to show that they are in complete agreement with what James has been saying here. Luke 6:46. why do you call me, this is Jesus speaking, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why are you just saying John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Galatians 5, 6, this is familiar to us. Paul's writing, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love, a faith that works. That's what counts for anything. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, therefore my beloved, this is Paul again, therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul is not okay with a faith that says only. Paul is not okay with just professing the right doctrines are professing the right morals. He insists that, they, that these, this faith, this profession be worked out. 1 John 2, 4 through 6, this is the Apostle John. Whoever says, I know him, that's God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. So whoever says but does not do is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected, completed. That sounds familiar with Abraham. Uh, By this we may know that we are in him, that whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Even if it is a stumbling, floundering, part failure, part successful walk of faith. Uh, 1 John 3.18 Little children, let us not love in word, 
or talk only, but in deed and in truth. So, just as there are only these two kinds of faith, this living faith or dead faith, this, this true faith or false faith, there are only two kinds of professing Christians. Uh, those who have that living faith and those who have a dead faith. And so, my hope is that you are challenged by uh, walking through this and by seeing James's insistence with the rest of the New Testament writers that uh, true faith must produce good works. And if it doesn't, you should shudder. Uh, but if you are concerned about it, if, if it does make you a little scared, I would be encouraged. Because uh, I think somebody who would be numb to this would, would not have uh, even the slightest inclination towards wanting a true faith. So the temptation for me uh, was, is always to think of my failures. When we talk about show me what you've got, the first thing that comes to my mind is my failures. Okay, what I, well, I'm not able to show you what I've got. Um, but remembering Father Abraham, <clears throat> Uh, his decades of false, false starts and half successes, his many failures, remembering that he is the father of our faith uh, should be encouraging. It's encouraging to me. And if you're out there thinking of your failures as we're trying to examine the quality of our faith, um, that's okay. Go ahead and think of your failures, but realize that uh, in, in grieving over your failures, uh, the reason you're doing that is because there is something true in there that is wanting to fight against that. There's something that is not okay with having just a faith that professes. Um, there's, a, there's a scripture in Isaiah uh, where he's talking about the Messiah and he says the, the, the reigning king Messiah um, will establish justice in the earth and a bruised reed he will not break and a, a faintly uh, smoking wick he won't he won't put out so you've got this king with all authority and all power who who will trample over his enemies with the very word of his mouth and when he comes along a bruised reed he he's going to uh, not snap it or trample it over when he comes across a, a faintly burning wick he's not just going to snuff it out because it's not putting out the light that he might want or that we think he wants he's going to uh, support this reed and straighten it back up and maybe splint it because there's still a little bit of life in it. And the same with this, this faintly smoking wick. He's going to protect it from the elements and breathe on it and reignite it. And that's, I, I think that's most of us in here. I think we're mostly bruised reeds and faintly smoking wicks. So, so how kind of our God to expose our failures and our false faith so that the true can be revealed and refined. Uh, Patty? That, there's Patty. Patty is going to, uh, instead of us doing a, um, instead of us doing a, um, a, a response song, I'm sorry, we're gonna try something different and I'm excited for it. We're going to, to, a, we're going to do a response reading and what's gonna happen is um, if you all wouldn't mind standing as we do this, there are going to be some scriptures up on the screen and Patty's going to read a portion and we're going to respond and what I want you to look out for is 
what Patty is reading is the, the grace and faith. This is God's promise to do something. And then, and then what we will be reading, responding with, is how that will produce works, how that, will be, how that faith will not be alone. And, and I just, uh, I believe the very, the very uh, hearing of his word will even now produce that true faith in us as we confess his word. So, thanks, Patty. Psalm 119, 33 and 34. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. Give me understanding. Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20. The Lord says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. The Lord says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. Second Corinthians nine eight, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Ephesians two eight through ten, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Hebrews 10, 22 through 24. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Second Peter 1, 3 through 7. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire.
So let's close in prayer and we can be dismissed. Lord, we are Abraham's children. And for all his failures and, and, and faults and shortcomings, uh, we rejoice because uh, you are Abraham's God and you are our God. And just as you were faithful with Abraham to complete the work that you began in him, so also you will not fail to complete the work, however small begun in us. So let your word sink deep into our hearts. Let it bring forth true faith that brings forth glorious works that exalt your name and that builds up your church. In Christ's name we pray, amen.